The Run Culture podcast has always been a passion project. It was created to share stories and experiences, to educate runners and to grow the sport. Ultimately, to show that running is cool. The podcast has provided us all opportunities to listen and learn from some interesting people in the running world. Welcome to the Run Culture podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I am an all-out running fan and an accredited running coach, a marathoner myself and an experienced physiotherapist that specialises in treating runners. So, before we get right into the show, if you have enjoyed any of the previous episodes of the Run Culture podcast and they have added value to your life and you want to support the podcast going into 2021, then we have a Patreon page. It's linked to in the show notes. A small monthly donation will go a heck of a way to keeping the show alive. By doing so, you too can also feel fulfilled that you are doing your bit to promote and grow the sport. Also, for those runners interested or in need, links to my online strength and conditioning course for runners or run therapy, my physiotherapy clinic, are also in the show notes. Alas, enough from me. Here's this week's interview. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Run Culture podcast. Today, I'm privileged to be chatting to Jenny Blundell, who's soon to be a two-time Olympian this year in the 5,000 metres, and she qualified in amazing fashion uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm not really a regular to any podcasting, so this is quite um, a good tool for me to actually do. (laughs) So I'm happy to be here. (laughs) So you don't listen to any podcasts? Um, it's a funny story. I, uh, I listen to the radio when I, when I run, I, I don't really listen to much podcasting. I tune out, I go completely the 180 and don't listen to anything running related. I listen to crap as everyone calls it. <laughs> <laughs> what station? Um, I flick between Kiss and Nova. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it's a privilege to have you on the podcast then. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, everyone's pretty keen to hear about um, your amazing solo run. Um, yeah, just the other day where you ran a massive personal best. Um, and it, I think what the amazing part was, was, it was the last day of the Olympic qualifying period. Like it finished on the 29th of June. So that period was about a 900 day period and you did it on the last day. Um, five days before that race, you'd had a, you'd had several cracks actually over the last month, but five days before that, you looked like you had an attempt with um, Eloise Wellings and um, and I just assumed that that might've been your, your final go um, and you ran a 1531. And then somehow five days later, you, you took 20 odd seconds off. Um, yeah, how did you do it? um yeah it 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 sounds pretty crazy when I listen to all of that and think that wow that that was me that did that um so basically I'm I am new to the 5k in the distance and so for me we knew that I can probably run 15 minutes and under but it's just being present in a race that gives me that opportunity And as each attempt that I did, we just were not setting the race up properly. And 15 minutes is a long time to run and not execute it from 
1k in, 2k in, 3k in, even a mile to go. So um, in that last race, um, yes, it was just me. I got my um, good friend, Georgia Wassel. I just said to her, give me a sub three minute and set me up. And I just had tunnel vision and it was quite simple. I just had to run 72, 73s. And that actually for me felt more comfortable committing to that pace from the beginning. So I actually only was hurting in the last like lap as opposed to hurting for most of the way at a slower pace. So, and it just happened to be that the only time I've ever run like that was on the last day um, of the qualifying period. So yeah, I've had no doubt that I couldn't run that time. It's just, I never actually genuinely gave myself a shot at doing it. So um, yeah, there's just something about the last minute urge and this is it, this is it. If I stuff up the first cave then that it's all over sort of a thing. Um, so yeah. Well, it's pretty, that's pretty. That's how I was able to run quicker. Like, yeah, I think um, not everyone would have taken that situation and been able to be calm and and uh, stay on task and stay focused. And um, I think some people, yeah, would have probably been, oh, there's so much pressure. Like, this is my last chance. Mm. Um, how did you, yeah, keep that tunnel vision? I guess um, like during the race and even like. The, the the moments before the race knowing that that was your last opportunity yeah it was such a weird atmosphere because because we were under very strict protocols we were only allowed to have three in the race there was only three races that night there was only two coaches there only like I think four or five officials so it, it really didn't even feel like a race environment and um Jimbo my coach was really 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 good at um whether it be pumping you up before the race or calming you down. And he just said that it's the last shot, so let's just pretend it's a 3K race and then see if you can hold on. And he's just like, if you miss it, you miss it. You know, if you're, if you're on track and you're going, then we'll, you know, obviously be cheering for you guys as much as possible to finish it off. And that really calmed me down because it didn't, it did not feel like a race. It just felt like a a time trial, like, uh, you know, if you have training sessions where you put that time trial aspect in a session. That's what it felt like. You know, there was no person to beat. There was no person to compare yourself to. It was just running a hard training session. And, um, yeah, I, I do it quite often in my own training. So I had confidence that regardless whether it was me by myself or not, that I could do it if I gave myself a chance. Yep. And so you ran 1510.27. So it actually was, yeah, 0.27 off the Olympic standard. So with this selection process um, this year, um, there was two pathways to qualify, you either had to get the Olympic standard um, or, or they were looking at everyone's ranking points. That time that you ran was enough to get you enough ranking points um, uh, to sort of get, to fulfill the quota for the event. So 
on rollover, you you were in the top, was it 40? Um, or 42. 42. Um, yeah. And you were placed 42? I think I ended up 39th or 40th in the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a funny, well, interesting story. Um, the, the last month leading in, um, everyone was sort of riding off my event and sort of not, and people were questioning why I was still trying to, to target the, the 5K. Um, however, people, I don't know if they weren't doing their research properly or just didn't know that I could have rattled off 15 people in the list above me that I knew were scratching. So when you, when you know that, and then, you know, I, I just knew I could run the time. Of course, I was going to chase it all the way until the end because my ranking was moving up and up and I just wasn't satisfied with um, choosing to stop racing and just rely on that. So kind of like um, Clarky and even people like Ed Trippis and James Nipperus, um, we, we all just, we had to scramble and just keep putting ourselves in the mix because if we could get two points quicker, one point quicker, uh, one point ahead, two points ahead, or even a little bit quicker and take a stab at the qualifier, like you just have to. And regardless of being in Australia or Europe, um, I didn't treat that as an excuse as to why um, I couldn't run the time or not. It was just made it a little bit harder to do. But um, yeah, we just had to have that ride or die attitude all the way until the end made it entertaining <laughs> oh yeah no it was entertaining to follow and like just researching for this um chat um you won the national title um on the 13th of march in a really exciting finish um against um yeah a, a lot of oh, well, all the best uh runners in in australia um yeah with a really good good finish in 1525 and then um yeah, you, you ran another 15.28 um, on the 12th of June and, and the 15.31, the five days before your 15.10. When did you start to decide, oh, I'm going to focus on the 5,000 metres rather than the 1,500 metres? Um, I pretty much, pretty soon after I won the national race, I really thought that, I had a better chance of running the qualifier in 5k than I did at the 1500. Um, even though I'm like, I dare say I'm capable of running under 404, but um, just with my recent history to my, um, my carvies, yep. <laughs> um, the, the training involved for the 5k was a bit better on my body than it is being snappy on the tartan um, in, in spikes in a 15. So we, we still tried to do the 1500 at nationals, but then like, yes, my calf blew again. Um, so then I had to spend, um, I think it was a total of almost six weeks out before I could start doing some lazy 200s. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I just knew that the 5K, I envisioned myself on the start line for Tokyo rather than the 15 
it's a nice progression as well um, as I'm getting older, going to the longer distances. Ever since I come out of juniors, we sort of physiologically knew my body was a 5K runner. I was just stubborn and didn't want to do it. Because yeah. <laughs> now having done both both races, I actually can say the 1500 is easier. Like tactically, it's harder and things like that. But um, the 5K, it's just no matter how fast or slow, I cross that line and I hit the deck and can't move for five minutes. Um <laughs> No matter how fast or slow. So yep. whereas the fifteen hundred I've never I've never finished the race and collapsed and been in so much pain. So um yeah, I I miss the fifteen hundred, but the five K is very rewarding because you finish it and you feel so satisfied. So Yeah. yeah I yeah. really like the five K now. Oh, it's so painful. <laughs> yeah, it is. I didn't know that about your calves. Um yeah. so, so you, um, yeah, I saw that, yeah, in the National 1500 final, um, yeah, you, you were a DNF. Um, so, you, and then was it six weeks that you were struggling with your calves? And, and yeah, fill us in, you've had a bit of a history with your calf. Um, yeah. Yeah, what, what, what's, yeah, what do you think that's down to? And, and um, yeah, do you feel like you're getting on top of that? Yeah, so it's actually in both my legs and it's a physiological, um, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but basically my central tendon is not straight in both my legs. It's kinked. So at that kink point, um, it, uh, it tears and frays out. Um, and it generally only happens in a race situation, no matter how much we try and stimulate, um, training, it never happens at training. It will always be in a race. So we don't know if it's, if it was psychosomatic, which even sounds crazy, even like talk about it being mental, but I don't know, something about a race, um, flares it up to be the most risky to tear. Yeah. In, in both legs. And we have, like, I am such a gym animal because of because of it. So um, it's not really a matter of, like, we can do everything in training, everything in the gym to stay on top of me being strong and robust. But unfortunately, um, in those faster distances, it is just something that, um, yeah, if it's just if it's cumulative fatigue from the whole month leading into a race and then it might snap, um, it could be down to weather. Um, and psychologically that's really hard to accept that my body does have, um, something that's really hard to fix. Um, I don't think surgery is anything that I could do. Um, we thought for a while I could have had some sort of vascular problem, but, um, yeah, I just have to live with it and just that's why we sort of go session by session and make sure that um, I'm, I guess, very selective in races I do as well. Um, but it was really, really, really good science to see that I pulled three back-to-back 5Ks in the space of three weeks and I've pulled up great. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty wrapped about that as well. Yeah, so, like yes, you said. that's my history. Yeah, the, the training training involved for the 5K and even just the pace of the 5K 
is probably a little bit gentler on the calves. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, seen, I've only yeah. just recently started running in spikes as well for the 5K. Um, the the race on the Gold Coast on the 12th of June was the first time that I'd ever done a 5K in spikes. I, I always wore flats before. Um, so I was also pretty happy about that as well. And was I saw you DNF'd um, in a 5K on the 6th of Feb. Um, was that the New South Wales Track and Field Championships? Um, is, 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 was it the calf again? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, because it like wasn't a super important race and I was a few weeks out from the national championships in the 5K, so the Sydney Track Classic meet, I felt... Um, I felt something go and I had to stop straight away because I was only 600 metres up. I was 600 metres out from the finish and that's a long way to risk it. So as soon as I felt something down the back straight, I had to stop and I I struggled to walk for maybe a day after, but then I was lucky to be back jogging four days later um, and then managed it well and then was able to come out and and, and win nationals. So yeah. that was really crucial that I didn't, um, that I wasn't stubborn and didn't sort of stick my nose up and keep running because the deci- the right decision, the split decision I made to stop was, um, was good. Yeah. Um, yes, that was my calves. And, it, and that was a weird day. I'd just come off, because um, of COVID, I really wanted to do the Zatapec 1500, but Sydney was in a hotspot region. So I had to do two weeks in Newcastle and then I had to then go drive straight to Canberra, catch a flight from Canberra to Zatapec, then had to do 36 hours of, I couldn't get out of the hotel room waiting for my COVID test, Um, then race, then fly back to Canberra, then drive back to Sydney and then I raced that state race yep. and I just think that was a lot of and it was my right leg the accelerator yeah and it was just my body was zapped and I think it was fatigued yep. so um that was that story <laughs> yeah with the calves um like as as um has that been sort of an ongoing thing even because like obviously you did so well in 2016 at Rio um to make the semi-finals in the 1500 meters um, at the Olympics. Um, when did the calves start becoming a bit of a thing that you've had to manage? Um, Cause I so was looking through, um, yeah, your um, coaches squads, um, Instagram on track running. Um, yeah. And he sort of uh, mentioned a post at one stage where you've just d- displayed so much perseverance and determination to get to the stage that you've got to um, today. Um, yeah, so it'd be nice to sort of hear like, um, yeah, just your, your journey over the last f- four or so years as well. Like, um, has it, has it been an ongoing thing? Yeah. So my very first calf problem was 2014. And then every year after that, the alternating leg blew like generally right before a national championship. Um, so quite often, um, apart from the Rio year, um, I was rehabbing a calf injury every nationals. 
every single nationals I was going into a championship um, having been in the pool or on the bike for a good five or six weeks before that. So um, it was nice to um, yeah, achieve what I've achieved knowing, like knowing all of that. And even since Rio um, 20, 2020, so last year, um, I did a good 15 at Sydney track and I did 405. And I think if the Olympics had gone ahead last year, I probably would be on the start line for 1500 actually. Um, but 2020 was the year that I didn't touch wood. I hadn't had anything with my, with my legs go wrong. Um, so that was nice to have all of last year, um, just training and having no setbacks. And yeah, it's just been every time, um, every time we get a setback, I always come out stronger. So I've just learned to accept that when I do have a little setback that it's not the end of the world and I know I'm always better for it. So it's, it's never been, um, too much of a momentum killer because it's never really stopped me in my tracks. Um, and yeah, just the rest of the squad, um, sort of seeing me go through those bouts of I just won't be at training for a month because that would have happened. And then I come back and my um, what they think my first session is, I come back and I'm killing it and I'm running the same as I was before, but they don't see the, um, the gradual return to running because it's not linking up on squad days. So they don't see me doing, you know, 200s and then 300s and then building myself up to a kilometre um, reps and then I join the squad back and then they're like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so they just think I just, I disappear for a bit and come back and I'm 100% again. But I don't see all the the bike and the pool sessions and the gradual return to running. Use the Alter G a bit as well, um, which is always fun interesting to use <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so it's been a really long journey and it, it's been frustrating I'm not gonna lie it's been so frustrating but if I didn't think that I could um still get the most out of my body and be running PBs then who knows I, I might have stopped being competitive um doing competitive running but I definitely know that um, there's more there and when you know, you know, so, um, every year I just keep at it, see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like that was, you know, what I was, I was sort of thinking like you have that all the time. Like so many people would be like, Oh, maybe my best days are behind me. Um, mm. and, um, but you just forged ahead. Um, you ran an amazing 3k at the Hunter classic and you ran 8:56 um, on the 9th of January this year. Was that one of those performances where it was, that sort of gave you the confidence that um, you could run the 5K qualifier? Um, like, was it sort of performances like that that just kept you going? Yeah, for sure. Um, that race that I did in Newcastle, um, that, was, that was the weekend that I'd gotten up to Newey to start my two weeks out of Sydney. And... I'd trained hard all week um, and my coach, he actually just wanted me to go up there and do it as a training session and then do it um, do it after. And then when we found out it was a mixed race, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then 
Jimbo was like, yeah, you know, just run the first two Ks relaxed, try and run a sub three minute for the last K. And then, you know, if you're, if you run like 9.15, that's fine because, um, you know, it's, you're not treating it like a race. And then he saw the results and was like, what? Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you did that off, off literally just running the last two and a half laps fast. And I was like, yeah, I... I don't see why I couldn't run like 8.40, 8.45 if I actually tried from the beginning. So as soon as I ran that in a relaxed way, we knew that we were on target to run the qualifier this year. Not on the last day of qualifying, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but we knew that the work we'd done all of last year was was heading in the right direction. So um yeah, that race was good. I enjoyed running with the with the boys in that race. It wouldn't be too many weeks now. Like, is it about four or five weeks, um, roughly, that uh, until Tokyo? Um, and what are the goals um, now? Now that you've qualified, and you must just be like so stoked that um, all that effort that you've put in over the last few years has sort of yeah, you feel like you've you know achieved something pretty amazing already. Um, but yeah, what's the goal, you know, going forward as you go in towards Tokyo? So my race is on the first day of the program for athletics on the 30th. So, um, we're here on the night, so it's very close, um, which is very good for me because I've just come off a racing block. I'm in PB shape. So all I have to do is, um, just be a bit um safe in the next few weeks at training um i'm not racing again so my um yeah so we're only literally like what's that three weeks away um we're leaving sydney on the 26th so i'll literally get in a few days before the games um or before my race and um uh, yeah it will be my goal is to make the final and I would love to run under 15 minutes. Um, I think running solo in my last race um, sort of has definitely bred my confidence into looking at that 15 minute barrier, not just saying it, but actually envisioning myself being able to do it. Um, the In that in that Bankstown race, I dropped pace between that sort of 3K to 4K mark. So if I had a few people around me um, just not dropping that half a second per lap, um, that's a few seconds already um, right there. So that's my main goal, make the final run 15 minutes or under. Um, and, yeah. Uh, that's... That's a great goal and like I'm um, so excited to watch that um, uh, and I think a lot of listeners will um, yeah be super keen to watch it as well um, especially after hearing this insight and then also just following your progress as you try to qualify. Um, Jenny like over the last um, you're being coached by um, James Fitzgerald, um, Jimbo your coach um, since 2013 uh, you were sort of more a 1500 runner um, at the last Olympics. Now you're um, in the 5K. 
I'd love to hear like what you've learned over that journey. Um, uh, what kind of training uh, you're doing now and how has it changed and what do you really feel works for you and your calves and um, yeah, like how, how has it sort of really changed and what are some of the big things that you've learned about yourself that works for you? So my biggest learning curve since starting with Jimbo has been not to compare my mileage to other people. Um, I don't have Strava. Um, I just get anxious <laughs> when people start talking about all their mileage and stuff. I'm Jimbo and I are a super um, quality over quantity um, when it comes to me. You know, everyone's different, and I understand that. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say that you know you shouldn't be doing mileage that's junk or you shouldn't be doing it. You blah blah blah. For me, with my background coming from four and eight runner into a fifteen hundred runner and transition in the last sort of two years into a five k runner. My training, to be honest, has not really changed that much. Um, I might have added 10 extra minutes on my Sunday run over a three-year period. Um, and uh, my my runs, the only thing that's changed is my runs, maybe on a Monday, um, I would maybe do a few surges in that run. Um, and my mileage in track sessions has increased but the quality has stayed the same so I'm not running longer but slower like I'm still running at pace just just for a bit longer um and I'm faster my track workouts are, are quicker as well and my recovery um between sets and reps still alternates between super short recovery and then also allowing me to have longer recoveries if I need to. So over the, the last four years, um, training ha changes every year because at the end of the day, my body is a whole year older, so it needs slightly different stimuluses. Um, but that said, we very rarely do the same session twice or within a, um, a, a short, um, like we don't, if we are going to repeat a session, we won't repeat it until a while later, um, which sometimes that sucks because if I do a session, I really, really love it. I know that I probably won't do it again until a while later. But um, it also teaches me to, I do a session and I feel great after, but then I have to dismiss it and go, great session, move on. Um, you know, we don't want to be um, trainers. We want to be racers. So, um, yeah, I don't want to get into the habit of just doing the same session all the time and then knowing that great, well, I was doing this session last year and I was running better and now I'm not and now I feel crap. Um, so, yeah, it. I would say a lot, of, a lot of my training over the last four years has improved in my quality, but my quantity has pretty much stayed the same. 
So you're probably speaking to someone who does the least amount of running for a 5K runner, but I don't feel like that's disadvantaging me and I don't think I could run better if I ran a whole lot more. Um, that's just my body and my makeup and, yeah, that's me. <laughs> how, how often are you in the gym and uh, cross-training each week? So I am in the gym three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, Friday, I welcome Friday with both arms every week because it's my no run day and all I get to do is do gym and gym's fun, gym's exciting, it's so different to running. Um, I, I do a combination of lifts, um, power lifts. I don't do like generic boring core like ab crunches and stuff. I just, that's not very functional in my opinion. Um, so I do a lot of core, like standing and, and in exercises I do core. Um, cross training, I only do it when I'm injured. I just yeah. feel like if, if, if you can run, run. Um, I understand that if people want to build up their mileage in little quotation marks, but they body can't do that, then they do turn to means of bike and stuff. Um, which, which, which is good. Um, but for me, I just, I don't worry about cross training unless I'm injured. Yeah. 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 No, that's great. And then, um, I love to hear a bit more about, uh, the group that you train with and has there been any pivotal training partners, um, over the last year or two and, and what are, what are some of the things that makes Jimbo a great coach? Um, I just missed that last little bit. It froze. Oh yeah. What 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 are some of the things that you you really really think makes Jimbo a great coach? And then also, who have been some um, training partners that have been really integral in your build up um, over the last year or so? So the last um, year or so, we have um, an athlete. His name's Obsa, and he's. Um, Ethiopian born and moved here in I think when he was about four years old um he's got an absolutely great story um he's an 800 runner who's starting to look good in the 1500 as well but um he's 21 now so we cross over very very well I'm arguably a bit stronger than him in the threshold work but then again, the last six months, he's starting to drag me along in it as well. And But for speed stuff, um, of course, he's in front of me. And um, we, and, and he's, such, he's such a lovely guy. He is, he just gives so much to me and he'll train when, when it suits me. Um, so I owe, I owe Obsa a lot for the last two years. Um, is he, he runs and he never shows pain on his face. So it's so deceiving because he'll be flying. He'll be running 20, 24s in his 200s. And it, to the naked eye, it looks like he's running 30s, but he's just moving so quickly. It looks so effortless. So yeah. Um, he's taught me a few things like that, but I also really love sharing my knowledge with him and, and even the rest of the squad. Like we have a lot of, um, younger girls that Jimbo coaches through this, his school program that 
eventually come to our squad. And um, at the moment, I'm really happy with our squad. Like we're we're not, um, I guess, in in the senior ranks. Like we're not a dominating squad or anything like that. But we have no egos in the group. Everyone turns up and runs the best that they can, and we all have a good time. And um, I just I don't like training in an environment where I'm constantly feel like I'm competing, like I'm here to train and get get whatever, you know, if it's an aerobic session, get an aerobic benefit out of it, not try and run ahead and then start to get an aerobic, anaerobic benefit. So um, the, the squad's been really good for me over the last two years in sort of staying a bit grounded and not getting carried away. Um, and in terms of um, like Jimbo and his planning and planning around sessions and taking it session by session. Um, I, I just love his, um, his creativity with training. Um, I find that he, his training prescription is, um, very different to a lot of traditional coaches I know. And again, I'm not here to say what is right or what's wrong because there's so many different ways that you can train um but Jimbo's mental aspect the way that he hypes us up pre and post comp and before I wouldn't still be training with him sort of five years after my first Olympic cycle so um, he's been he's been really good um, for for my um, transition to five k, and yeah, I have all my faith in his ability to um, coach and plan my sessions. And it's it's fun. It's interesting. Hmm. Um, I was saying to someone um, recently one of my favorite sessions I did. It was actually. I think it was a week before that 3K I did in Newcastle in January. We did um, this really, really fun session. And he called it a canine session. <laughs> the term, they were, there were 2K reps, right? 2K reps. But there was a 1K at loaded 100 meters and then straight out of that flow um we went into a a 500 at 5k pace and then we finished off with a 400 kick down in like a 67 or something so it was a 1k and a 900 with a 100 float in between and all up there were 2k reps and so they were like super specific super quality, um, short rest, and we did it four times. And that's probably been my favourite ever session that I've ever done because it just, you finished each rep and you're like, that's, this is the training. Um, And I loved it. And I've told a few people that session and they're all like, what? Never heard of that session before. (laughs) Um, So we do, we do training like that. It's it's very different. It's no, 
boring 1Ks, 800s. There's all all different aspects to, to our training. What's the Blundell bundle? Yeah, so um, we did that, when was that, yesterday? They bought? Yeah. Um, so in my 5K at, at Bankstown, um, I turned up that day and I said, Jimbo, because I'm going to be running by myself, I think the way I'm going to think about the race in my head, um, lap, lap 200, lap, lap 200. And I'm going to break down each K into components. So, um, so then he really liked that and obviously worked. So then for training the other day, um, that's, we did an 800 and then with a 45 seconds rest and then a, a 200. But, um, all I was thinking of was lap one, lap two, short rest, 200. Um, so bundle, bundle, bundle. So yeah, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> and what you did, did five of them, um, and was the idea that you go a little bit quicker in the 200? I'm going to do any more. Again, we're in our final stages. There's no need for me to do, you know, eight of them or ten of them or anything. It's just making sure I tick my legs over and then feeling good. Okay, finish the session, move on. <laughs> I'd love to hear, like, you got the qualifier here in Australia. Um, you didn't go over to Europe uh, um, to try to chase the qualifier. Um, uh, yeah, like, um, and, and, you, and it worked. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to hear sort of a bit more about that. Um, there's, it shows that there's so many ways to do it. And, um, yeah, why did you choose that, that route? So, um, I, because the 1500 at Nationals, um, because I injured my leg, we just knew that going overseas was out of the question because there was no way my first race back was going to be overseas. That would just be like feeding myself to the wolves. Um, and then I just had to accept that. And what seeing and trying to get the qualifier here in Australia. And I just think that if, um, if I can come that close and same with Clarkie, if we can do it here in these environments and, you know, like rain was such an issue over the last few weeks, then that just proves that, you know, if, if you get stuck, it's not the be all and end all. And we can do it in Australia, like watching, um, Lyndon Hall, Peter Boll, like, um, Matt Ramsden, Stewie, like everyone's running fast without having to go overseas. And um, I was just like, well, yes, that's so true. If you want to run that fast, just go and do it. Like, let's not box. Let's just go out and run. Um, and I um, that's it. And the great thing was that I got to run these last few races here at home with friends and family. Um, in the past, if I've gone overseas, you celebrated on with the coach. But it was just so cool to have to have him there 
um, running that in Australia. So um, it, it, it did suck hearing that other athletes definitely were going against um, the advice that we got given to stay because imagine if um, if none of the Australian athletes went overseas and we could all have raced in June um, in the Gold Coast. That would have been so good. But, you know, that's not reality. Everyone has their own way of doing things. Um, but I also had work commitments. So I wasn't in a position to, um, to give that up, um, knowing that I had those opportunities in June. Um, I think different story if there was absolutely no racing here in Australia at all being set up, then of course I had missed the Olympic team, then to get home would have been really not fun, um, really hard to get back to Australia. So um, it is what it is. Our government's pretty strict. So if we could make the team without going overseas, then I was going to do that. You mentioned work before. Um, I saw that you gra- you graduated as an exercise physiologist. Um, yeah, h- how much are you working? And um, uh, uh, yeah, like, do you, do you love your job? I absolutely love my job. I... <laughs> I can't wait until I retire and can do my job and my job only. Um, I I don't work in high performance. I work in the rehab setting. So I'm currently, um, I usually work four to five days a week. Um, so almost full time um, at a rehab specific hospital. And so I, all my patients are, orthopedic knee hip replacements back surgery but also stroke and cardiac patients as well and um i love that i can train in the morning get to the work and then not talk about high performance for the rest of the day and um not a lot of people at work or even my patients know that i'm an elite athlete because it's not about me it's about them and um I just love the the patient interaction and and because I'm an exercise physiologist I'm movement based so um I'm not a physio like I'm not doing manual like therapy or anything like that I'm actually doing um functional exercises with them and then not only that but we have a pool so um I love it I get to go in a 33 degree pool for an hour and I just float around and do my own recovery basically um, and then just tell them what to do. So what I, what I do for a job is um, it's, it's also good for my body as well. Um, As much as like I'm on my feet during the day as well, but I've, I've had desk jobs in the past while I've been at uni and like my back gets cooked just sitting in the chair. So I actually prefer now to be um, up and walking around and we're not in a gym setting. So I'm not moving heavy weights or anything during the day. It's we're just in a, oh, I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny, um, like I know your focus is in three weeks time um, uh, uh, and it's going to be a race that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Um, uh 
but have you thought much about the future and um, what sort of um, your running will look like after Tokyo or has it just been full steam ahead towards Tokyo and you haven't given it much much thought past Tokyo? Well, um, Jimbo actually said last week that he wants me on the start line for Zatapec 10. Um, that was a bit daunting. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Um, you keep going no, up. I mean, look, I'm a 5K runner, so I have to start putting some times to my name for a 10K. Um, whether that's a road K, whether it's track race, um, maybe I won't be ready to do a track one, but definitely some road racing. Um, looking at COVID right now and looking at the numbers here in New South Wales, like it would have been good to come home from Tokyo and then start doing some some fun runs on the road, but I, I just feel like they're all going to get cancelled. <laughs> um, so I don't want to get my hopes up, but I would have loved to have come back and um, done like national cross country and things like that. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know, I have a bad feeling about um, this Delta strain and here in Sydney. Um, it's even like right now, it's even presenting such a problem. There's six of us athletes here in the athletics team in Sydney and we're like our camping cans open tomorrow and we can't, we can't go. So I'm missing out on my heat and humidity training in cans the government just are really stubborn and we've, we've asked um, and yeah, we're stuck here. And then, um, yeah, but look, you know, it is what it is. And I don't know if that's going to like mean that I'm not going to run well or not, because I think I'm going to run well regardless. So yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, Jenny, um, it's been an absolute pleasure um, chatting to you and, and hearing your story and your insights. And um, yeah, we've only three weeks to go. It's really exciting um, to to hear everything and, and just the way that you qualified. Um, yeah, I just wish you luck and everyone else wishes you luck um, in three weeks' time. And uh, it's exciting to hear that um, there's more running um, in your career after this. Um, and yeah, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast, your first ever podcast. And yeah, um, yeah. Is there anyone else that you'd like to reach out and thank um, at all, or anything else you'd like to add? Um, um, well, I mean, I would be silly not to mention that um, over the last year, um, the the office at Athletics New South Wales and um, not just Bankstown Athletics Club, um, you know, also my own club, Sydney Uni, but all the other clubs that provide um, their help and their officials to help. Um, there are not just the events that I've done recently, but in the past during COVID, there are so many races that would not have gone on if it wasn't for clubs who genuinely love athletics that um, people people take time out of their lives, generally not even like not getting paid or anything, to come out and allow us to to race, record times, get points, try and run qualifiers in the middle of a pandemic. Um, you know, it, it the amount of support and people that have reached out to me after that race last week. 
um, I like almost even start like tearing up when I <laughs> think about it because yep. just even the behind the scenes work that had to go on to get that race on last week was just absolutely crazy to hear about all of the protocols and procedures that had to be written up, submitted, um, all, all for us to just run. That's all I had to do. I had to just turn up and run. That's why like, that was the easy part for me. So um, if, yeah, if people in our running community um, didn't, didn't help out, then a few of us would not be on that team. So I'm forever um, grateful for people um, in the sport that do that. And not, not just from New South Wales, but there are people like that in every state that do the same things. And, you know, I would hope to think that one day when I finish running and I have kids that I want to become an official and help out with my local club and because, like, it, it makes a difference and I want to be able to say that I did that for someone in the future. So, um, yeah, shout out to if you're an official involved with a club that helps the club get up and running, um, you guys are the backbones of our whole running community. So, yeah. No, that's such a such a good note to finish on because, um, yeah, so much so, so much of their efforts because they're behind the scenes goes unnoticed and, um, mm. yeah, so uh, it's good to shed some light on that. Um, thanks so much, Jenny. Um, you're a legend, and um, all the best uh, for your final few weeks of um, preparation. Good luck. Thanks for having me, and I'll be um, listening. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to this one on my run and I'll just laugh at the silly things that I've said. But, um, no, definitely. I'll, I'll be listening to a lot of podcasts in hotel quarantine when I get back from Tokyo. Oh, yeah, that's so, true. Um, yeah, once, once the Olympics are all over, um, I, I'll, I'll probably be um, yeah, less focused and can adventure out, out of my abnormal things. <laughs> nice. Thanks, Jenny. <laughs> Alrighty, thank you. Bye.